This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Lendit Fintech. Lendit Fintech's weekly news roundup. My name is Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit Fintech, and as always, I'm joined by Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm well, Peter. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, in honor of what we're calling really Latin American Fintech Week here, it's uh, we have Andres Fontal from Finavista. How are you doing, Andres? Peter, Todd, hello. Great to see you guys again. Uh, congratulations on, on the event this week. You know, it was really good to see you guys in the whole fintech ecosystem in person yep. this week in Miami. Yep. Well, we just, just as, sure. as Andres has said, we were, we were, we hosted Lendit Fintech LATAM this week. Uh, I'm actually still in Miami in my hotel room here. Uh, we wanted to get Andres on. He's one of the foremost experts in Latin American fintech, and we have the biggest story in the history of Latin American FinTech this week. So Andres, before we get going, why don't you do a quick intro about, about your, yourself and your company? Great, yeah, so um, I'm the co-founder, managing partner at Finovista. Uh, we've been around the Latin America FinTech scene since 2012, and really our focus is, is threefold. One, um, summits and insights, uh, generating a lot of research, a lot of insights uh, in terms of the, the evolution of the FinTech ecosystem in Latin America. Uh, we do a lot of work with, with corporates across the region, helping them innovate with uh, fintech startups. And we're also uh, an early stage investor, um, currently fundraising Fund2 um, to continue our work in pre-seed and seed investments across the region. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's get to it. It's the biggest news of the week. I would argue the biggest news of the year just for fintech globally um, and that is the, the new bank IPO. It is now the, the biggest fintech IPO in history. And uh, it has, it priced yesterday at uh, $9 a share, opened um, opened the day, I believe was around $11.25, closed at $10.33, up 15% on the day. I mean, it's it was, it's been exciting. We, everyone was talking about it all the time this week at our event in Miami, but uh, Andres, why don't you kick us off? Give us your thoughts. You've been following Newbank, uh, you know, certainly longer than Todd and myself. Give us your thoughts uh, on the company. Yeah, Peter. So, so definitely, you know, I think it's it's certainly a, a historic day, a historic milestone um, globally. You know, I know, you know digital banks across the globe had their eyes set on this IPO, right? Also for for, for their potential right, uh, listings in in the capital markets. But but I think for 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 Latin America especially, it's a very it's a very exciting day. Um, yeah, the, the best thing about this, I think, right, is that we're still at the very beginning uh, of a digital revolution in Latin America, right? Um, David, you know, he said it himself you know, last year, he, an article was, he was interviewed by The Economist, right? And you know, I, I think we're still at that moment, right? We're still in the first minute of the first half of a 90 minute soccer match, right? There's so much more to transform and disrupt digitally right, uh, within the financial services space in Latin America. And, and what, 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 the, what the new bank IPO is doing, right, is really just bringing the FinTech opportunity to, to the forefront right, of, of, of the masses, not only in Brazil, not only in Latin America, but it's really, you know, it's making FinTech become a, a household 
uh, concept, right? Uh, in Brazil and Latin America and, and across the board. I think, you know, I, I think for Latin America, right, in, in addition to, to the impact, the positive impact that it can have uh, for, for startups and, and, and for investors that, that are currently operating in the region, right? I think, you know, we also have to look at the, 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 uh, the new bank IPO as, as an inspiration to future entrepreneurs and to future investors, right? And this, we saw this happen here in the US with PayPal, right? And the PayPal mafia who then went on mm -hmm. to build new startups and, 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 and some of them went on to, uh, to build their, their own VC funds. Um, it happened in Latin America already with uh, Mercado Libre, right? Um, and I certainly think that that new bank and the IPO is going to have this impact uh, in Brazil and in Latin America, right? And it's going to inspire inspire future fintech entrepreneurs and future fintech investors, right, uh, to move forward, seeing that there is a more clearer path to exit and to success for them, and at the same time bring greater impact to the region. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Todd, what are your thoughts? I mean, I was struck by, um, you know, what a lot of people at our event were saying. I mean, Sergio's the one that made the, the funny comment that I light a candle every night and, and pray um, that New Bank uh, has a successful listing. Um, you know, I, I think the, the more interesting thing, um, I think, Andres, you touched on it there at the end, is, you know, this gives um the entire region more than um you know the the current ipos that went which is you know delocal and stone this gives them that that kind of shining thing on the hill like all right this is the the company that we're aiming towards which is which is important for a region that's still you know i think when i was interviewing um you know the cfo at um uh, D-Local, Sumita Pandit, how we talked about, you know, does LATAM still have a discount to it uh, on the world kind of stage when it comes to fintech? You know, you have the lending clubs in the U.S., you have Revolut came out of Europe, you have PayPal now, it's, uh, you know, seen as, as, you know, kind of the fintech darling. Uh, but LATAM was still kind of the, the step down. But Nubank's not a step down. Nubank's kind of like a step up for a lot of these companies, and it's LATAM-focused. So I think that can help change the equation and the, you know, the cascading effects of those that are early in new bank that are going to start, there'll be some successes and failures from that. And then they'll cascade from there. And so it'll just keep on having this effect years over years that um, can really, you know, rewrite, uh, you know, the Latin market. Uh, the only negative, I guess, downside is if it bombs, and we won't know this for months or, or probably a year because, you know, not everything's viewed in, in 10 seconds these days, though a lot of things are. When it comes <laughs> to company performance, I think we're going to need time to see, you know, as long as it holds near that value, I think we can call it a success as long as it doesn't precipitously drop. Yeah, yeah. And you know, right now, obviously, it, it, it's been trading for a grand total, I think, of, of less than three hours. Um, and uh, it's... Um, it did rise a little, drop a little, but you know, right, right now at the end of the day, it's worth forty-eight billion dollars, and which is interesting number because they, had, in their last uh, disclosure, they said they had forty-eight million customers, so that's a thousand dollars per customer as their valuation, and um, you know, just a couple of little, couple of little asides here. 
David Velez, the CEO and uh, founder, he's now worth $10 billion. He owns 23% of the company. Um, and Christina, I don't know how to say your last name. Um, Christina is now a billionaire, the, the, one of the other co-founders. Um, uh, you can help me with the last name there, Andres. Um, yeah. Christina Humqueda. Yes, there you go. Okay, <laughs> I even try so I'd add I, I I one more relevant <laughs> yeah. fact, right, um, that, that I've been reading on in, in the press today uh, and the days leading up to the IPO, right, and that they are the uh, the most highly valued right bank, uh, uh, publicly listed bank in Brazil right now. So so cool. their, you know, their valuation is even greater than, than Itaú, right, which I think yeah. was up until today the, the largest, uh, the, the most yeah. highest value financial Which, I mean, that's, the, I, I don't, I think we, that, that is, truly staggering to me where you've got really established profitable banks that have been overshadowed by a fintech company that didn't exist nine years ago and but at the same time and i was watching david solomon be interviewed the other day on, on cnbc how many fintechs right now can you say are profitable right well i mean that's well they say that new bank just turned to profit um like very recently so yeah they're not it's all about the future but i think but it I plays th it plays with what andres was initially started with which is this is the first inning of a, a 90 minute match that like this is so early and over time we're gonna see does new bank become the bank in latam does revolut become you know the global um you know digital bank that kind of breaks through um you know, from Europe to, to the U.S., across, um, you know, the ocean and continents, um, you know, does Lending Club, you know, continue to perform after they bought a bank? You know, there's so many different pieces. And I think sometimes we get lost in that fintech has changed a lot. It's very, very small still. Has, well, yeah, but, has but I happened, think it's, it's got potential it's, to grow. Well, yeah, it's, it's got huge potential to grow. And I think the that coinciding with what's happening in in web 3.0 is now you have this like you know dual trajectory of two things happening at the same time which is fintech helping to reshape financial services and then you have this entire new ecosystem potentially helping to reshape how we think about a lot of different yeah. things beyond just financial services right Right. And I think that's the thing that, you know, go back to what Frank Rotman said, that the, there's a lot of market cap that is that is inside of the traditional banks right now. And a lot of that is going to shift to the fintechs. And that's what that's what investors are getting on. But before we move on, uh, just one last thing, Andres. I mean, you've been following New Bank for many, many years. What is it that you think makes them special? Yeah, um, I think I think it's it's it, it's two things. Right. One has to do with with their product and value proposition, right? And it's the fact that, you know, they're the first truly, you know, native digital financial institution in the region, right? Um, and I think that says a lot about the, the product, their offering and the culture that they're building internally as a company, but also externally to their community and, and to their customers, right? The second is that they're truly a regional player, right? You know, David founded the company in Brazil but he's from Colombia and he spent time living in other countries in the region, right? And then he studied in the US and then he, he moved to Brazil. Um, they're currently operating in Brazil, in Colombia and in Mexico, right? Um, so, so again, I think, you know, it's, they, they're, they're not, you know, uh, a standalone Brazilian FinTech. They're, 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 re, they're a truly regional uh, play, right? And, and I think, you know, time will also tell, right? You know, how successful their expansion can be 
have they built a standalone value proposition for Brazil with, that they're just trying to copycat and export to other countries? Uh, or, or are they going to be successful in Colombia, in Mexico, and in other countries? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't this the first like, you know, company, at least financial services company that said, you know, here's who the banks are serving, which is the rich, the powerful, the, you know, the kind of high class, upper class. And this here comes David Valles and, and the team at New Bank. And, and now it's the bank for ordinary people, for the middle masses. class type person. And, and the banks, I mean, worse than even here in the U.S., the banks in Latam, from what I understand, don't serve the, the everyday person almost at all. Right. Well, we, we just, Todd, it's great that you bring it up. We, we just published some research this week with the um, Inter-American Development Bank and with the Pacific Alliance, right? So basically Mexico, Colombia, Chile, the governments of Mexico, Colombia, Chile, and Peru. Mm-hmm. And we did our typical FinTech radar mappings for those four countries, which we've been doing for, for years. But you know, this, this time around, we also surveyed incumbents, right? And there, there are three segments that the incumbents identified as not priority for them. Uh, and not surprisingly, it's, it's the segments that, that fintechs are addressing, right? It's uh, micro enterprises, uh, small and medium sized enterprises, and low income consumers, right? Uh, I think each of those segments individually, less than 3% of the, the, the incumbents who responded to our survey, right, identified those segments as, as priority to them, right? So, so obviously, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're focusing on what you just said, right? The, the the higher end consumers, they're focusing on the higher end SMEs and and, and corporates, right? And and they're, they're not they're not concerned about the, the masses, right? And that's where that's where New Bank and others, right, have really identified an opportunity um, to to solve specific pain points of consumers of customers, right? Um, and that's where the opportunity is. The entrepreneurs are seeing it, and the investors are seeing it. Okay, well let's let's move on. We we are gonna. Um stay with latin america but before we before we do i want to just touch on other news that happened this week Uh, we had the crypto executives uh, testifying before the house financial services committee we had executives from coinbase circle ftx paxos stella and bitfury uh, the latter uh, company there now uh, brian brooks ceo former occ head Um, and so that was that was a really interesting uh, interesting day yesterday and you know that was you know there was mainly a fact-finding you know like discussion there wasn't uh, wasn't any massive news that came out of it um you know the democrats were skeptical and the republicans were supportive in general um and it was interesting the crypto executives when interviewed afterwards said they were pretty happy with the with the hearing but uh feel like this is yeah, we've we try, the U.S. is trying to wrap their heads around crypto regulation, and at least they're at least they're talking to the people who matter. What what, what are your thoughts? Look, keep in mind we're one month away from an election year. <laughs> right. You're really talking about twenty three, twenty four, where this might get solved, right? Because you, I, I'm very skeptical that these sides come together when they're fighting and and you know the margins in congress are very small right now both on the the senate and the the house side that they're just going to come together and say yeah let's let's find common ground for for crypto there's no there's no chance of that happening so it's going to be left to you know probably the sec the the and those to kind of begin to uh craft things uh but that they have you know looked towards congress uh, you know, so it's kind of this, it's being bounced back and forth between the two, 
And the scariest thing for me, if I would be a, a crypto executive right now, is that you could be looking at waiting until post midterm, so 23 or potentially 24, depending on who gets into the White House, before right. you get real clarity. Now, you might get some incremental clarity, but I, I just don't foresee it happening in the next 12 months with, with the way Washington is, is currently working. Oh, yeah. I think 12 months is optimistic. I mean, they even said, particularly when they said what they'd really like is new legislation specifically targeted at them. And that creating a new law, which I think is actually a good idea, but that's really going to be hard to get to get those people on, on, on the same page. It's really going to be tough. So, Andre, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't followed uh, that news very, very closely. I, I would say, right, just you know, throwing it back to Latin America, you know, Mexico went through, through a similar exercise not too long ago. Um, and they, you know, two years ago, they adopted the Mexican fintech law, which, which, which was something, you know, at the time, you know, the frame, you know, first of its kind in, in the region. Um, I think the effects of that, right, you know, some people like the law, some people don't like the law, right? I think, we're, you know, we're always going to come, you know, come across polarizing opinions, right, about, about a framework in itself. It's very hard to appease to everybody, right? But what I will say is that it's brought certainty to the market, right? And so if we see from when the Mexican framework, when the Mexican fintech law was, it was adopted, uh, what we've seen is uh, greater certainty, uh, meaning there's been more investment you know, flowing towards fintechs in Mexico since then. Investors like certainty. Uh, there's been greater consumer adoption as well, right? Because they like certainty, right? It gives them you know, greater peace of mind, specifically as, as it as it applies to their savings, right? To their wealth. Um, right. So, so I think you know any conversation that's headed in the direction, right, of, of bringing greater certainty to the ecosystem should be well received, right? We're never right. going to find the perfect law, the perfect legislation, right? But it's a, it's, a, it's a starting point, right? And it's a building block, right? To to eventually get there. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's right. Certainty is the is the name of the game. That's what these crypto execs really want. Want something. Tell us how you want us to be regulated. Just tell us. And then we'll, we'll I do think, it. though, this is the, the one industry, and I think this is a pipe dream personally, but um, Web 3.0 is where there should be like kind of a special global regulatory you know, kind of coming together because of how drastic it can be uh, for things beyond just financial services, the entire, you know, kind of remaking of, of the internet, uh, I think would be something that, you know, if it ever were to happen, which I would never think it would, uh, but that's something where it kind of goes beyond borders, uh, yeah. where a, a global consensus would be just... <laughs> I mean, it, it would, it would be, be game changing, yeah. but I foresee it never, never yeah. happening. That, that, that goes again, the whole concept of de decentralized finance, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I want to go back to, uh, to Latin America. And actually, I want to touch on uh, your interview, Andres. You, you, you kicked off our event with interviewing uh, Sergio Furio, who is the CEO and founder of Creditas, um, one of the largest lenders in Brazil. And that like was interesting that he what, thing that he he was actually somewhat controversial I thought in saying that you know, expanding into a new country is not a good idea for most companies he said and he you know he, he's an interesting guy because he is Spanish moved to Brazil 
where he didn't even speak the real language that, that well when, when he moved there. And then now he's operating in, he moved, he's operating in Mexico as well. And he sent, made it sound like, man, this has been brutal. It's been really hard to, uh, to expand and not something that other fintech companies would, would do. And that we heard many others with the, with, with the, with the opposing view. What, what are your thoughts, Andre? Yeah, I think, you know, expansion is tough, right? And, you know, I think when we work with early stage entrepreneurs, uh, we make them know this, right? And I think the, the biggest hurdle uh, is regulatory, right? We've been talking about that a little already today on, 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 on those conversations here in Washington, but, uh, you know, each country has its different, has, has a separate, if they have one, it's, it's, it's a different regulatory framework, right? And so these fintechs that are operating in regulated, regulated spaces, right, have to know that. And so that in itself, right, it's just costly, right? And it consumes a lot of resources, a lot of energy. Um, you know, when we look at Mexico or Brazil, they're large enough companies, right, where, where at least at the early stage, startups should be focusing um, standalone in those markets, right? Because the opportunity is big enough, right? And not until they've really nailed, right, that market opportunity uh, in their home country should they even think about right, um, expanding geographically. That being said, right, you know, companies like Caritas, right, one, you know, They've obviously been, been 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 doing very well in Brazil. Uh, they've nailed their value proposition. They're 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 growing, um, and you know they're healthy enough from a financial perspective, and they have the backing to be able to expand. Right. So I think you know when when startups do get when fintechs do get to a certain size, um, you know they, they should definitely look at it. Uh, we we tend to prefer obviously Mexico or or, or Brazil uh, as standalone markets just just because of the size. Of those countries, the population and the opportunity warrants it, right? But, but when you're talking about smaller countries, Chile, Argentina, uh, Colombia, you do have to, you know, yes, do focus on, on on validating your product market fits in country, but know that you have to think regionally for, for, from 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 day one, right? That being said, don't assume that it's going to be a copy paste approach from what you did and what was successful in country A to country B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to um, move on to um, our most popular keynote of the of the week was um, Credit Justo, the CEO of Credit Justo or co-CEO David Poritz. Um, he spoke about um, acquiring a bank. They that's something that they that Credit Justo acquired a Mexican bank um, earlier this year. They closed a the transaction. They've now been operating with that bank um, and have uh, you know have. You know, seems seems to be doing uh, doing pretty well. Um, interesting. You know, that the, the, there was I think there was like 25, 30 questions that came in from the audience on this on this session. He he got off stage and was mobbed by. A, there was a line of people wanting to wanting to talk with him. So, you know, clearly this there's a lot of interest in in uh, Latin America, particularly in Mexico. It seems. Um, but probably across the region, that buying a bank is uh, is something that gives you regulatory certainty and it gives you cheaper cost of capital. Those are two pretty big advantages, it seems. I thought the the most interesting thing he said was when you know examining the the cost of capital from a, an investor versus the cost of acquiring a bank. That you know, in the I think it was the medium to long term, he's like the bank was it was clear right. that. You know that that pain to get the the bank was definitively worth it. Then maybe a bit of an easier path, but a, clearly a more expensive path in working with institutional investors to to get capital. 
So I, th I thought it was fascinating. And, and, you know, Peter, you said it 25 plus questions. It's a complicated transaction and people kept asking about the details of it. And he was you know, more than willing to, to share almost every single question uh, related to, to how they completed the transaction. Yeah, I, I, re I really think it's, you know, it's amazing what David and Alan have, have achieved so far, right? And, and I think just to, to think about their journey, right? And, you know, they launched Kuri Husto you know, as a monoliner, right? Just, you know, SME financing uh, in, in Mexico, right? Um, but as they've, you know, as they've built their customer base and identified their customer needs, they've been able to roll out, right? Uh, really a full suite of services and products, right? To address their customer needs. And buying a bank is, I think, the pinnacle, right, of this, right, in, in, in evolving from uh, a single product to uh, a one-stop shop to service all of your needs, right? Um, and like you guys said, it brings regulatory credibility, right? I think it's very important for the customer, right? They don't see Credit Justo now just as an alternative lender, right? But they see Credit Justo as a financial institution who can really help serve their financial needs, right? Whether it be in lending or another product, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if this came out. I, I, I wasn't lucky enough to sit in on the session with David, but uh, you know they also acquired some fintechs this year. They acquired Senor Pago, which is a mobile point of point of point of sale uh, provider in Mexico. Uh, they also acquired Visor, right, um, which is more of a a business intelligence uh, provider in the SME space. Um, and again, right, this is I think just in line with building out a full suite of services and becoming that one-stop shop for their customers. Uh, really amazing what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my favorite session of the week was actually, and that was yours as well, Todd, Paulo yep. Pasoni uh, of SoftBank. He's, he really is, uh, he's an amazing speaker. He runs, you know, he runs SoftBank's Latin American fund. I think it's $5 billion or it's a massive, massive, massive fund. Um, and what, one thing he said that I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me, and I didn't even think about this, but he said, VC penetration as a percentage of GDP he said Latin America now is catching up or has caught up with the US and Europe, which I thought was in that we've we sure we showed the in our opening opening presentation, we showed this the, the, the CB Insight slide that shows Latin America just it's exponential. It, it's like between the, the first nine months of this of this year, there was like three three point one times the amount of 2020 and so really you just had the new bank ipo with another 2.6 billion dollars that was raised so massive amounts of capital being raised and uh you know he's i've got six you got 60 portfolio companies and you know really the he, he has become really a kingmaker in in some ways in uh, in latin america i thought the the best part of his um session was when he talked about you know, founders and the board seats. And basically saying founders don't take enough time to craft, like it's their company. And a lot of times they, they acquire an investor, they, they raise a bunch of capital and they kind of throw a board seat to, to that investor. And, and he was like, you know, that you need to like put your foot down. This is your board. You need to, um, you know, put it, together in a way that's going to benefit the company most long-term. Uh, and so I thought that, you know, piece of insight, um, I thought was, was, you know, besides the funny anecdotes that he had, which, which made the session, um, you know, kind of 
laugh out loud at, at times. Um, I thought that piece was super interesting that, you know, a lot of founders just don't put enough effort into crafting a board the way they truly want. Um, and he, he encouraged more founders to do it. He gave the story about how he was interviewed for an hour and a half after he had, um, you know, given a term sheet to the company uh, and he eventually got the board seat, but the founder was, was very attuned to this is my board and I'm going to put it together in a way that most benefits the company's long-term vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely think you know, for Latin America, I think for, for the startup ecosystem in general, but specifically for fintech, you know, where, where it's the, the highest, uh, you know, the, the largest segment attracting VC money, right? Um, it is this year, obviously, but it's been so for the last few years. But you know, I think SoftBank entering Latin America, you know, that's where we can really talk about an inflection point. There's a before and an after, yeah. right? I see they've brought a lot of capital. Uh, they've put Latin America on the radar for lots of other global funds. Uh, but, but like you guys just said, right? They're also bringing best practices, right? Best mm -hmm. practices that are relevant to other VCs, but they're more relevant to the entrepreneurs themselves, right? And just being able to guide them with tips and tricks on, you know, how to form your board, right? Are, are very important, right? You know, venture capital in Latin America 10 years ago, even five years ago, right? Wasn't as mature, sophisticated. Um, hence, you know, the, 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 the VCs that did exist, it, that did exist, right? Many were local and, and you know, many weren't applying these best practices. And many, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to strangle the, the entrepreneurs, right? Um, right? With power, with voting rights, et cetera, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and it's good that someone like SoftBank comes in and says, no, like, it's your startup, you have to maintain control, right? Um, in, different, in different ways. So yeah, definitely, I think everyone, everyone's excited that's when SoftBank arrived, everyone's even more excited that they're still around and that they're continuing to bet on uh, on the region. Uh, obviously, you know, FinTech is a big part of that. Uh, and this year, you know, they started going in at earlier stages, right? Uh, right. It's, it's going to impact valuations. You know, some, some, some people probably aren't as excited about that <laughs> because they do have very deep pockets. Yeah. But, but again, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's only going to help uh, evolve and mature the investment ecosystem in, across the entire region. Right. Well, we're almost out of time, but I want to end with um, the it was our um, pitch it winner uh, for the, of our startup competition, um, ya or Jave, not ya. It's it's spelled Y A V E, but apparently pronounced Jave. Um, and this is uh, basically um, embedded finance platform for for home mortgages. Seemed a little bit like um, Blend uh, for the US, uh, and the, I didn't realize in Mexico. The five largest banks control 98% of the mortgage market. That is just staggering. It feels like a disruption just waiting to happen. But uh, anyway, did, 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 did you know Jave before, Andres? I had not, right? And that's, you know, I think one of, one of the reasons I love going to these conferences uh, is, is discovering that early stage talent on stage, right? Uh, I think, you know, in initiatives like, like Pitch It, uh, you know, I think are what would drive me and I think attract a lot of audiences to go and discover, right, that emerging talent in, in the fintech industry in the region. Um, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity, as you just addressed, right? And I think it's an opportunity that is not necessarily being addressed properly by the incumbents, right? You know, going back to that research that we just published, right? They're not focused on the lower income. Yeah, they may have 98% of the market, but they're going after that higher end market, right? Yep. They're still you know, a much larger percent of the population that doesn't have access to mortgages. Right. Um, right. 
and it's that that lower you know, middle income segment of the population. So, so again, they're 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 hitting spot on, right, on on one of the one of the existing opportunities in the market in, in Mexico and across Latin America. Yep. Yep. Last word, Todd. Half of the over half the companies were in the infrastructure slash embedded slash as a service type uh, market. It just shows you how much infrastructure, new age infrastructure is needed uh, across Latin, whether it be Mexico, Brazil, wherever. Uh, so the fact that you just continue to have these early stage companies, that there's a lot that's going to change in the next yeah. few years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, with that, we will have to call it a day. Thank you very much uh, for watching, everybody. And uh, we'll be back uh, same time next week, 5 p.m. Eastern, for uh, probably a, a more regular, shall we say, edition of, uh, of Lender Fintech News. This was our special LATAM edition. So thanks, Andres. Thanks, Todd. We'll thanks, Andres. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye.